scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm chapter 103, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies you with with your who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your you so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We would worry a whole lot less if we truly praised God a whole lot more. We'd worry a lot less if we truly praised God a whole lot more. Look in your Bible at 1 Samuel 23 and verse 16. Sometimes we need encouragement. We need help. We need a prompt to think again about God. Maybe we're overwhelmed by some of our trials, our worries, and we need a prompt, we need a help. In 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 16, there's an example of just this. It says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. What a wonderful thing to have said about someone. There was this great relationship between David and Jonathan. And Jonathan, of course, is the son of Saul. And David is having to deal with trial and difficulty and worry in his own life because Saul wants to see David dead. But it's Jonathan who strengthens his hand in the Lord. By way of application, there are times in life that all of us will need a Jonathan. Who's your Jonathan? A person that helps you to again focus on and praise God when you're feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances going on in your life. If a person doesn't have a Jonathan, what a tragedy. Because our our worry and our pain are prolonged. Yes, we need a Jonathan at times. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. You should desire to be somebody's Jonathan, and you're certainly going to need a Jonathan at various points in your own life. But what 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 says is really important to consider as well. This on a different occasion... When David is facing trials and difficulties and having to face worry, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. That means it is just as important to motivate ourselves to look to God 
as it is to have a Jonathan or to be a Jonathan to someone else. Yes, we want people to encourage us to look to God and to focus and praise Him. But even if there's not anyone, we can motivate ourselves, we can talk to ourselves to think about God, to meditate about Him and what He's like, and to praise Him as a result. Terry read from us, uh, read for us from Revelation chapter 4 and how worship is given to the one who sits on the throne. Revelation 4 verses 8 through 11. Well, worship is given to the one who's on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5 verse 13 and 14. Praise and honor to the Father is also due to the Son, the very next chapter. Paul would be talking about God's great plan of salvation in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And not just once, not just twice, but on three different occasions, just in this one passage, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, he breaks his train of thought and he says in Ephesians 1 verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, to the praise of his glory. In verse 14, to the praise of his glory. As he thought about what God did in making salvation possible, how that it had been in his mind as Adam reminded us from the beginning. He couldn't help but praise Father, Son, and Spirit for the salvation that we enjoy in Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103, Psalm 103. We will worry less when we truly praise God more. A person cannot praise God too much. The danger is in praising Him too little. Think about that. We cannot praise God too much. The danger is praising Him too little. A drop of praise is a mighty poor acknowledgement of an ocean of grace. A drop of praise is a mighty poor acknowledgement of an ocean of grace. Psalm 103 can be summarized with two words, pure praise. You cannot find a chapter in the Old Testament that stresses the praise of God more. Let's focus especially on verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 103 
But before I do that, let me give you a little bit of background material. In thinking about this, think about the structure of Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. The structure. In verses 1 and 2, there is a call to praise. Here's David strengthening himself in the Lord. The psalm will go on to get everybody involved. But David is encouraging himself to stop and praise God. I'll worry a whole lot less when I praise God a whole lot more. I can not praise God enough, but I can certainly praise God too little. And so the first two verses are a call to praise. A call to praise. Where David is admonishing and encouraging himself. That's insightful. We all need to be someone's Jonathan. Or we need a Jonathan. But we all also need to encourage ourselves. To strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Now look at verses 3 through 5. The cause of praise. A call to praise. The cause of praise. In verses 3, he says this. God forgives and heals. Do you see that in verse 3? In verse 4, he says... God redeems and crowns or honors. In verse 5, he says that God satisfies and renews. This is something David had undoubtedly thought a whole lot about. A call to praise, the cause of praise. Look, if you will, at the beginning of Psalm 103. And in almost every translation, it is the word bless or praise. As a matter of fact, when you look at the first two verses, how many times do you see the word bless or praise? How many times do you see the term? Three times. Now look, if you will, at verses 20 through 22. At the beginning and at the end of this psalm, there's the emphasis on blessing and praising God. This time, however, bless or praise is found four times. From beginning to end, the psalm is about pure praise. It's hard to praise God sometimes. We need a friend like Jonathan to encourage us at times. We're discouraged, we're down, we're maybe full of doubts. We're experiencing difficulties. But there are times when we must see that we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. 
What I'd like to do is focus on these five verses, Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Five characteristics of pure praise. Are you with me? Five characteristics of pure praise. This was true for David so long ago, and it is going to be just as true of you and me today. It'll be true until the Lord returns when we will all be forever in His presence if we are Christians praising Him. Characteristic number one of pure praise. Pure praise is God-centered. Look at how the psalm begins. Bless the Lord, L-O-R-D. Most translations have every letter of Lord capitalized. Do you have that? Something like that? The word is found 11 times in this chapter. The Lord. This psalm is God-centered. Pure praise to the Lord. And it is the term Yahweh. I am. Bless the great I am, O my soul, we, soul we could say. All that is within me, bless the great I am and his holy name. When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14, I am. Who shall I say sent me, Moses asked. I am. A God who wants to have a relationship with humanity. Bless the God who wants to have a relationship with humanity. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. This passage is God-centered, and pure praise is God-centered. Sometimes people curse God, complain to God, murmur to God or come to assemblies or engage in family worship or individual worship and yet they know that there's idols in their heart that really keep them from being God-centered. Ezekiel 14 verses 1 through 4 speaks of idols in the heart. True praise is God-centered. True praise is not man-focused. It's God-centered. Look at the passage again. True praise is God-centered in that it stresses His holy name. See that? Mark that word holy. It's a word that you've heard a lot, but often people have a hard time describing or defining what we mean. And when you look at the word holy, the basic idea, to keep it simple, is separate. Holy means God is separate. 
It means he's not like us. And in one way, when we're talking about this, God is holy in that he's above and beyond us. He is infinite. We are not. He is separate from us in that he's transcendent above and beyond everyone. And yet this is the God who wants to have a relationship with us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. But holy also carries with it the idea of absolute purity and sinlessness. Our God is above and beyond us. He's absolutely pure and he is sinless. This is the God upon whom we center and focus our praise. You got it? Then notice this expression. Look at the verse. Verse 2 says, forget not all his, what? His benefits. His name has to do with his holiness and his character. His benefits have to do with his blessings and his deeds. Praising God ought to focus on who he is, what he is like, and his deeds and blessings. I don't believe that you have New Testament worship that pleases God unless we're focusing in our worship on who God is, what he is like, and on his deeds and blessings of humanity. You might have a lot of things, but you're not going to have what really pleases God. True worship is God-centered. The focus is on Him and His desire to have a relationship with us. Number two, here's a characteristic of pure praise. It is personal. Pure praise is personal. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Mark it. I'm going to tell you why. Yes, the Bible stresses the importance of assemblies, of congregations, of coming together. Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Acts 20 and verse 7. The psalmist would say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122 and verse 1. And while there is this example of worship together, of coming together in worship that is right and proper, we must not overlook the fact that Praise is personal. My soul. It will keep us from looking at our assemblies as 
entertainment where preachers are judged mainly for their idea to, to tell a good story, to, to give a good joke, or to present something eloquently and well. Each and every one of you, though you are part of an assembly this day, and I'm glad you're here. It's not called the Lord's Day for nothing, y'all. Revelation 1.10. But on the Lord's day, we come together, each one of us, and we say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes worship is detached and aloof and distant. Praise. It's impersonal. David didn't know anything about that type of praise. And we shouldn't either. Praise is personal. My soul. And you know what? The word there, soul, carries with it the totality of one's being. What makes you the person you are? Bless the Lord, oh, what makes me the person that I am. Bless the Lord, me, as an individual that has a soul that's going to be somewhere forever. It's personal. You look at the text, Kyle, and it's my soul and the Lord. That really gets things down to a very fundamental level. Praise is about my Lord and me. Now that's not all it's about. But that's what it's about. It's about more than that, but it's not about less than that. And that's what the Word of God is showing us here. Third, not only is praise God-centered and personal. There's a third characteristic. It is fervent and enthusiastic. Pure praise is fervent and enthusiastic. All that is within me, all that's within me. Nine times that word all occurs in this psalm. All that's within me. Praise his holy name. Fervent. Enthusiastic. Unprepared. Ill thought out. Superficial praise stinks to God. That's something to think about. Fervent and enthusiastic. What an idea. 
In Mark 12 and verse 30, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Praise cannot be heartless, soulless, mindless, or energyless. And please God. But let's go another step or two. God gave us our humanity. And as part of our humanity, He gave us the ability. He gave us what we call the five senses. What are the five senses? Seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, touching. You ever thought about how our worship and praise involves all those senses? Just in the Lord's Supper, we handle the bread. We handle the cup. We, tra- we taste the bread. And we taste the juice, the grape juice, the fruit of the vine. We sing. We hear. We say. We look around and we see one another. Our God wants us to give Him all of our heart, soul, mind and energy in praise but he wants us to utilize our senses in praising him too when we give we give with a cheerful heart the idea is all all that is within me my imagination is to think about you and how great you are. My desire is to try to express my love for you in a way that makes you smile. I think about your character and what you have done and how marvelous are the works of God. It's to be God-centered, pure praise is. It is to be personal, and it's to be enthusiastic and fervent. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Romans 12, verses 11 and 12. Work heartily as unto the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 6. Colossians 3 and verse 23. I suspect this. If God were writing letters to churches today just as he wrote to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3, one of the things that he would rebuke is the half-hearted, superficial, shallow praise that he's given. Some of us have perfectly good mouths away from the time to praise God. Why can we be silent when it comes to praising Him? It's something to think about. 
I don't want my praise to be anything less than pure. Do you? And here's a thought. Pure praise has to do with focusing on all that God is and does. With all that we are and have. Praise focuses on all that God is and does as we offer to God all that we are and have along with the knowledge that all that we have and are does not declare His worth enough. Amen. But that's the idea that I want to have in praise. And I hope that you do too. Enthusiastic, passionate, fervent. Got to tell you, not sure that that would characterize every congregation of the churches of Christ. Whatever makes us us, we praise God truly with all. Number four, looking at the Word of God, pure praise is thoughtful. Pure praise is thoughtful. Look at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And this is really important. Because what David understands is what we need to understand. The first step to spiritual train wrecks has to do with forgetting God's benefits. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy because no book in all of the Old Testament stresses remembrance more than the book of Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy with me, please. And in Deuteronomy, turn to chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. The Israelites were about to enter the promised land, y'all. They had waited so long. A generation had died off in unbelief because they didn't put their trust in God. They didn't praise Him. If any book in the Old Testament should emphasize praise, it's going to be Deuteronomy. And it also emphasizes remembrance. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart for all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And go on and look at verse 12 of Deuteronomy 4. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant. Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
Look at verses 11 through 14. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when, you, and when your herds and flocks multiply your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. This book is written to cause them to remember what God has done. Forget not all of his benefits. Good people can do that. Look, if you will, at 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 25. And there is a king by the name of Hezekiah who most of us call good king Hezekiah and not without biblical warrants. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 32... And verse 25, it says that Hezekiah forgot the bountiful blessings that he had received from God. And that he lifted himself up. He lifted himself up. Pure praise is thoughtful. Ignoring God's goodness and greatness will lead to disobedience and disaster. And what I think is really interesting here is this. In the section prior that I was talking about where pure praise is passionate and enthusiastic and fervent, it's one way to monitor our spirituality. Are we genuinely fervent and enthusiastic in what we're doing? Are we into what we're doing? But another way to think about is how thoughtful am I of God's blessings? Philippians 4.8 is a familiar passage that says, If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I would suggest because God is virtuous and praiseworthy, we ought to think on those things a lot. A lot. Now follow, if you will, verses 3 through 5 quickly. What David has done is talk to himself. And what I hope we're doing this morning is talk, talking to ourselves individually from this passage. But notice what he goes on to do. In verses 3 through 5, he talks about acknowledging the blessings in pure praise. Acknowledging our blessings in pure praise. In verse 3, he's going to just kind of give us a tour. A tour of some of the areas. And the tour begins, 
the tour begins in a courtroom. And here's what he says about the courtroom. He forgives us all our iniquity. Case closed. No charges. Record completely expunged. Not guilty, no crime. Then he, on the tour of things, and some of y'all are familiar with this place, a hospital. He goes from the courtroom to the hospital. Our God who forgives all iniquities. You know what? That's high treason against the God of heaven and earth. That's what iniquity is. It's rebelling against the God of heaven and earth in sin. But then the hospital who forgives us all our diseases. If only we knew how many times God answered our prayers for healing. I think we often remember the ones he didn't answer as we wanted for healing. And we forget about the ones that he did. And this is fascinating to me because Adam, when a child of God comes to God and wants him to forgive, God forgives then and there. Sin and iniquity, I remember no more, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 36. But a person may continue to be sick. Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba, the child that they conceived in adultery was sick. And God said this in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. You are forgiven, but the child will die. Well, what about all this, all disease, all disease is healed? Come on now. Ultimately, yes. Come resurrection day, ain't nobody going to have a disease that's in Jesus. Amen. We may have heart trouble, Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer now. And there may be little that doctors can do about it. But the glory of the resurrection is going to take care of every sickness. Because that's how our God is. Including death. Including death. Look if you will at the passage in verse 4. It says, as we take the tour, the slave market. He redeems us from the pit. When life is really the pits, when we're really low, we could say. That's one way of viewing this. Think about 
Genesis chapter 37 and Joseph, who was taken by his own brothers and thrown into a pit, then to be taken out and enslaved. And he thought that was bad enough, but let's add insult to slavery. Imprisonment. Here is one person who loved God, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery and imprisoned. And yet it is Joseph who says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Who redeems us from the pit? I belong to God. Bought and paid for. I am as a Christian. How can a person have the same attitude towards sin? When they think about the God who forgives iniquity, who heals of diseases, who redeems us from the pit. And I love this when he honors us, he crowns us, he surrounds us with his loving kindness and his compassion, his mercy. Talk about God's mercy and goodness following us all the days of our life. Now look at verse 5. As David contemplates some of God's blessings, God's forgiveness, God's healing, God's redeeming, God crowning and honoring us as his, his people. The next verse, verse 5, God satisfies we have just left the palace, y'all. He crowns us. He surrounds us with his loving kindness and compassion. And now what he does is take us to his banquet table. Only right that I'm preaching about praising God right after Thanksgiving. Anybody eat quite a lot on Thanksgiving? Keep your hands down. You may not be able to raise it. I don't know if you can. There's, there's Emlyn. She did, you did pretty good? All right, good. He satisfies us. I know a lot of Christians who've been satiated with God's blessings, but I know far fewer that are satisfied. Are you satiated with God's blessings? Have the last few days just reminded you yet again how blessed and thankful you should be? How satisfied we ought to be with who God is and what he's like, what he's promised, what he's given. He satisfies, he renews, he renews. At the banquet table of the good Lord, we can be satisfied and renewed. I don't think it's too far out of bounds to say that when we observe the Lord's Supper, we ought to be satisfied with what God has provided 
and we ought to be renewed to praise Him and to thank Him. Here's what I want you to get as we close. That word bless, the word bless means to praise and adore. Have you praised and adored God personally this morning with the assembly? The word bless means to magnify and glorify. That means he looks even bigger and greater. Has our time together caused you to magnify and glorify God? If not, the problem wasn't with the text. And then finally, the word bless. Bless is about recognizing and expressing gratitude. Schools do that a lot, don't they? They recognize. They, they, they show that they're thankful for what someone has accomplished or done. How much more our praise of God should recognize Him and thank Him. Has your praise of God done that today? Here's what I want as we close. Think of all your blessings as a treasure chest. A treasure chest that overflows. Take some of the treasure out, whatever those blessings may be, and put them on the string of memory. And then place it on your neck of gratitude. Praising God has to do with thinking of the treasure chest of His grace, looking at His blessings and stringing them together into necklaces and bracelets and adorning on our neck and arm how good God has been to us. As I bring this lesson to a close, thank you for listening so patiently. <clears throat> pure praise. Pure praise. I want to be able to offer to God the purest of praise within me. Now. Because I am really looking forward to the time when we will all offer God the purest of praise forever. Amen to that? It shows I'm excited about what eternity holds. And you too. I don't think a person should ever look at worship and praise the same way again. Our singing should never be humdrum. It ought to be enthusiastic and fervent. 
preaching ought to be enthusiastic and fervent, huh? Amen to that? Lord's Supper observance, every avenue of worship is about praising Him. Pure praise. If you're not a Christian, come to Him now. Interestingly enough, with your mouth you'll confess that Jesus is the Son of God. With your mind and heart you're going to believe that He's the Lord. You're going to change the direction of your life. You're going to experience a burial. You'll feel something. being immersed in water. But you'll also know something, that when you come out of that watery grave, you have been given new life, and the old person has died. I think it's wonderful to be able to say, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that person anymore. You can look back to the point of your baptism and be able to say, I am not the person I was anymore because of Christ. Amen there? Let us stand and sing.